Right now in the hourly workforce, there's tremendous pain around diversity and inclusion. White sounding names get 50% more callbacks than non-white sounding names. The average general manager will ask between seven and nine illegal interview questions every single phone call. And for at Sprockets, our mission is to connect people to possibilities. We want to give everyone a fair shake, regardless of where they're from, where they went to college, and what they look like, to get employment. This is Of Note, a podcast on innovation. I'm Laura McIntosh. And I'm Joseph Nother. Of Note is powered by Scribble, South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. Join us as we talk with some of the most inspirational entrepreneurs, leaders, and scientists across the state as they share their experiences with invention, growth, funding, culture, and creativity. Today, talent is in demand and employees wield significant power in the relationship they have with employers and marketplace opportunities. While we often talk about disruption as a technology-related or innovation-led force, society is being disrupted by larger exogenous forces. For example, greater career opportunities are available to minority groups as corporate ESG and diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, or DEI, drive systemic and institutional change. Secondly, the pandemic, the post-pandemic reopening, and supply-side issues have led to new paradigms like remote work, geographically distributed and hybrid workforce models, as well as wage inflation. In short, it's costing more time and resources to attract, recruit, hire, and retain talent. But technology does not sit still. In fact, under innovative leadership, it embraces change to become more timely and relevant. What if there was a way to utilize artificial intelligence or AI to streamline screening and hiring processes? Can machines do a better job of recognizing the behavioral patterns that relate to workplace success? Can the digital transformation of traditional HR processes help reduce or even remove prejudice and enhance equitable outcomes? Perhaps man and machine are better partners in determining workplace success. If anyone had something to say about it, it would be A.J. Rikiki. He's an ambitious, ideological 20-something leading an AI-based venture looking to change the way people and businesses come together. My name is A.J. Rikiki, and I am the CEO and founder of Sprockets. So the product is a self-service online platform where any employer can simply create a username, password, and attach our three-question online survey to whatever job board they're currently using. So maybe they post to Indeed or LinkedIn or Craigslist. When a candidate applies, they'll take our assessment and then we will give you predictive analytics using AI to help you predict if that person's gonna be successful long-term at your company or if they're gonna leave before the 90-day point. The three questions are designed to elicit a natural, organic response. So they're all free form answers. And what our technology does is it breaks down the language using natural language processing, um, looking at things like word choice, punctuation, spacing, syntax, um, and so much more using machine learning algorithms to build wildly comprehensive data sets without requiring a ton of input from individual candidates when they're applying. So one of the problems with 
assessments today is it restricts people of certain socioeconomic as well as educational background. So if you don't speak well, you're criticized for that. If you don't write well, then you get marked against that. But with our test, we're not necessarily looking at how well you write, but the contents of what you're writing so that we can figure out what's in between your ears from a soft skills perspective and match you to the top performers in that particular company. So upon sign up, you will analyze your top performing people. Sprockets will figure out what they have in common to create what we call a particular success profile for that role of which everyone who comes in gets compared to. There's a misconception that because you hire somebody like your best, you're creating a homogenous workforce, right? And that's not true at all. The reciprocal is actually true. We take things into consideration using really sophisticated technology like your background, your dialect, your cultural language usage to make sure that we're creating an equitable hiring process versus this concept and this really what's happening right now is people are just hiring people that look exactly like their top performers. So we're bringing new technology to create a better solution and one that's far more fair for everyone. AJ's goal isn't to replace your HR department, recruiters, or headhunters. It's to improve the quality and fit of your hires. The technology is designed to be incredibly flexible, where we want to be able to be deployed no matter what job board you're using, no matter what applicant tracking system you're using, no matter if you're taking people who walk into the store and apply, or they're coming in online. So right now, Sprockets is being deployed from C-suite at Fortune 500 companies all the way to housekeepers and cashiers at fast food restaurant chains. Turnover in the hourly workforce exceeds 70%, which means if you have 100 employees, you have to hire 70 every single year because you're not hiring the right people. We target right now to industries that are seeing in excess of 150% annual turnover. Quick service restaurants, so like McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, as well as home healthcare, like Home Instead and Homewell. Both are doing amazing work, have frontline employees that have worked through the pandemic, and oftentimes are employing people that make between $8 an hour and $15 an hour. So from a hiring perspective, it's very challenging to get people that will stay long-term, the hard work and not getting paid a lot. And that's why we've been so successful is we're able to articulate which people out of the applicant pool have the mental makeup to be successful in your environment long-term. AJ is certainly on the younger side for a CEO, but Sprockets is a company that has quite a few years of the track behind it. That's because Sprockets all began as a dorm room project. Sprockets originated in sports, where in school, I was really curious to why professional sports teams are historically bad at drafting the right players. You have teams like New England Patriots that somehow, after 199 picks, knows that Tom Brady is going to be the greatest athlete of all time, while 32 teams passed on him six times. How does this happen? What I learned through my research is that it's because people are looking at statistics, right, that showcase an individual's physical skills, how far somebody can throw, how fast somebody can run, and how high somebody can jump. All are really important in pro sports, obviously, but none really defined what it took to be a successful NFL quarterback. So the very first version of our platform was to help NFL teams with psychology predict who has the right stuff between the ears to be a really successful NFL quarterback. 
I tweeted NFL scouts. I called every MLB team. I emailed every GM and I hit the pavement and I walked to Fenway Park and talked to anyone that would talk to me. I find that feedback is critically important when you're building a technology company and having any innovative idea. And oftentimes people forget that a lot of hard work needs to occur before the solution is found. And so I knew there was a problem, didn't know what the solution was yet, but talked to enough really smart people that were dealing with the problem firsthand and developed the first version of Sprockets. As you can imagine, AJ did encounter a bit of resistance early on because of his age. Whenever you're young and have an ambitious idea, um, there's gonna be doubters. But I think more than anything, people gravitate towards success. So when we got our first adopter to use it, start seeing some good metrics, we got the second easier, third became easier. And then we ended up signing a, a lot of teams. And over a period of our first three years, we doubled the win percentage of our clients, won a few championships. So it was a really fun, exciting journey that ended up into the platform that we have today. This is like Moneyball 2. Yeah. You like sign him up for a film yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Except right. Moneyball, he didn't increase his win percentage. <laughs> <laughs> In a nutshell, what did you find, at least from an athletic standpoint? You know, you said between between the years. So what were like the top three or four reasons why it make an athlete successful versus one who wouldn't? Yeah, I thought what was really interesting was that all of the best quarterbacks in the league currently all have very similar mental makeups almost as if you needed that mental makeup in order to be an NFL quarterback, not the other way around. And when I put myself through the test, not being an athlete, because I like to think I'm pretty level-headed, I'm cool under pressure, I think I'm pretty disciplined like most NFL quarterbacks, I'd score on a scale of one to 10, a two or a three. And so, you know, there's something really unique to that sort of mindset to be an NFL quarterback that college athletes simply needed in order to be successful at the next level. So above any singular trait or you know, couple traits was the combination of traits across the entire psyche that needed to be almost in perfect unison in order to truly make a great Hall of Fame quarterback. So Sprockets, what is the Sprocket machine as even their website would refer to it? Uh, I, I, you know, artificial intelligence is another one of those buzzwords we hear thrown around a lot and has all these different even visuals that might come to mind or applications. And so let's just talk about in the context of what, what is AJ's company doing? To me, it's just really oversimplify and not to like push aside what he's achieved, but it is really, he's created a process, a very simple, and of course I think you'll get into this, you know, here in a minute, Joseph, just yeah. a very simple online form yeah. that an very individual simple. can take and it helps give insights to the hiring manager or the talent team, whatever they're called, you know, the HR staff, insights onto how their brain functions in terms of personality. And I think as AJ even put it, like, you know, the stuff between their ears. Right. And it's beyond sort of your standard go-to personality tests per se or leadership test. It's really more about, I would almost argue, like emotional fit right. for the job at hand. Right. Um, so Joseph, for, you know, for you, what, what was it like taking the test? You got to take yeah, the well, actual test. It was surprisingly simple. I think to your point of AI being used, you know, I think he said pattern recognition is kind of the one thing that AI does really well right now, right? So I was sort of sitting, you know, that in mind, looking at, I click on the link, trying to figure out, okay, they're, they're going to ask enough questions or have me run through enough, you know, sort of 
spectral questions, you know, one through five or whatever to kind of detect a pattern. No, I get, I click on the link and there's like three or four questions on here and they're free form too. So there's no like, you know, pick a number. It's tell me about this. Tell me about that. Open-ended. Tell me about this. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 and, and in the nature of the questions, you know, I don't know if I should reveal all of them, but I mean, what, you know, one of them's asking me, not, I'm going to paraphrase here just to protect their IP, but you know, what, what's my next vacation look like? You know, it's not even professional. Oh, related. no, 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 absolutely not. No, very, I mean, I compl- was completely bewildered. Um, you know, I guess from expectation versus reality of what it was, um, you know, or what is it, what is it, what does your best day look like? Or almost like just trying to get to know you as a human. Exactly. Or, you know, at that point, that point I was kind of like, all right, what, what is it detecting? You know, what is the, what is the, what I, I mean, that's where my mind starts to overthink it. I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's open-ended. So are you going to see if I answer in complete <laughs> sentences? Do, do I need to restate the question? Um, Did you feel I, like you're applying to grad school? Well, that's exactly. I was sort of like, <laughs> should I should I use lofty language? You know, bring out those seventy five cent words. You know, um, I, I it, and you know, I guess his AI is smart enough to to see that and and make sense and hesitate has the of that. Or if I even remember correctly, you know, I think what why he's so passionate about this product in particular is that to him it is really creating well removing. Uh, bias yeah of any kind that's right and, and prejudice right yes and prejudices and and so you know when you think about when you're talking about you know do i need to bring out the 75 cent words he would argue no that it wasn't right. even about grammar use or you know how well something was written it was more about what you were just communicating to begin with is what they're really prioritizing oh yeah i mean i would i would ask sort of you or anyone else that same question if you're, if you're asked the question you know what describe what your next vacation looks like and you're told that your answer to that question is going to somehow, some way, some, some, they're going to figure out your leadership potential. I guess in his case, this case, your ability to be a quarterback. Right. Right. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, and I've got background in psychology, like how, how is it doing that? I, I suppose, is it, if I'm short, declarative, very straightforward and impromptu, is it going to say, look, this guy's efficient, methodical, straight to the point doesn't waste words, doesn't get, you know, is that how it's doing it versus like, oh, he used a bunch of words. It was verbose, you know, complete sentences. So maybe he cares more about, maybe he's more conscientious, maybe to use a a, a big, you know, big five personality trait word. He's more conscientious, but it's coming at the expense of you being more decisive. And as a result, you might be quite a, a wonderful hire for this, but you'd be a horrible quarterback because we need you to make split second right. decisions that I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the AI is looking at things like that. And I guess that's what makes it special. Yeah, to begin yeah with. exactly. That's why he's <laughs> charging good dollars for that. Um, but it was, uh, it was, it was a uh, very quick, very easy from the standpoint of filling out a form, not easy from the standpoint of really thinking through and providing a thoughtful answer. Do you Would, think you're going to be next Tom Brady? Uh, <laughs> There's so many answers to that question. I, 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 you know, I'll probably have to start working out, watching what I eat. No, I think there's probably a less than 0.01% chance of that. Although maybe my wife can still hope for that. <laughs> I won't, I won't slam the door shut. So how did AJ go from sports trying to find the perfect quarterback to assisting with hires in the hourly workforce? 
staffing cashiers and similar positions. Yeah, so it was self-funded dorm room project. And then the owner of one of the professional sports teams was our first angel investor. And it was kind of like a Billy Bean scene um, in Moneyball where Brad Pitt points at Jonah Hill and keeps asking for answers, keeps asking for answers. And everyone in the room says, who is this kid? Very similar situation in this war room. Had an opportunity to impress and talk with a lot of really influential people in sports that also have influence in other areas. So received our first angel investors and brought the technology into the hourly workforce. And Sprocket's first customer? Chick-fil-A was our first hourly customer, if you will. When we first entered the workforce, we were going after white-collar positions. So um, C-suites at big companies, um, going after hiring managers at you know local manufacturing centers, and it wasn't really that successful. Um, and I remember sitting with my wife and my daughter, who was just born at the time, in a high chair, and I was at Chick-fil-A, and I was kind of down in the dumps. And you know, general managers at Chick-fil-A's are so kind and friendly. And I think that the general manager could see that I was a little bit down or he just came over to say hi. And he's like, oh, can I help you with anything? Like, you know, what's going on? And I told him a little bit about our technology. I said, I don't understand why people are buying this in this space. You know, I know that we're early, but I thought things would move faster. And after I told him a little bit about the functionality, he asked me one question. Do you take cash? I said, what do you mean? And he goes to the cash register, he takes out $100, and he's like, hey, here's my first month subscription. I think you have something really special here. So then at that point, I get really excited, of course, and my wheels start spinning. I start doing incredible market research, and I call five more Chick-fil-A's the next day. Just saying, hey, I have this crazy idea. Is this something you'd want to deploy? Signed four out of five. I said, wow, we have something here for this space and for this type of customer. And since then, we moved almost exclusively to the hourly workforce rather than the salaried workforce and really put our foot in the dirt and started sprinting ever since. Up until the pandemic, we, we were working with a number of sports teams. And then we started to bring the data and technology to a number of local companies in Charleston that were what I would call friends. People who allowed us to analyze their people, start analyzing their candidates in controlled experiments so that we could get further validation for everything we needed with the Department of Labor. And during that time, we raised a very small seed round from Venture South as well as SCRA, both funds within the South Carolina ecosystem. And with that money, we were able to truly transition this machine that was very smart and comprehensive, yet not that usable to a McDonald's, say in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So with that deployment of capital, we were able to really make the product self-service, work on the algorithms, bolster the AI, and then go out in 2019, no, 2020, and raise a $3.4 million seed round from different funds in San Francisco, as well as New York City. You heard it right. $3.4 million raised in 2020, a COVID-19 pandemic year. We raised... $3.4 million in the middle of COVID, which I feel like I could just write a book on because it was absolutely crazy. Um, I had a list of 200 venture capitalists I wanted to reach out to. Um, we got a term sheet within a few weeks, had a number of other term sheets, so it became a very competitive situation. And fortunately, we had the opportunity of getting our pick of the litter. So we partnered with a fund in New York City called Lytical Ventures 
that specializes in AI and deep learning and cybersecurity, as well as Thayer Ventures in San Francisco that focuses on the hourly workforce, and Healthy Ventures that focuses on healthcare tech. So for us, this was a dream syndicate and one that I'm really proud of and one that I felt and still feel to this day gives us the highest likelihood of success moving into 21 and 22. Raising money in COVID was not easy. Um, it required a lot more research and it limited, or I felt like at first it would limit the scope of who I can get funding to based on who I could drive to because I wasn't allowed to get into a plane to California as an example and pitch at the Y Incubator Conference or go to New York City, sit at the Brooklyn Yard and pitch as many VCs as they walk through the door. But what I found is that with proper preparation, I was actually able to touch more VCs from my desk in Charleston than ever before in my career. And so COVID in a lot of ways equalized the geographic restrictions that I previously had and provided an opportunity for me to just say, hey, you wanna hop on a 15 minute Zoom call? It doesn't matter where I'm from, but I have this really great idea. I have this scaling business and I wanna work with you. So in a lot of ways, COVID did help in the process um, of fundraising, but it certainly restricted the face-to-face -face interaction. And to this day, I've never met in person any of our investors. If you're interested in the pursuit of innovation, visit us at scribblesc.com for exclusive video interviews, news from around the state, and a comprehensive list of resources to advance your ideas. That's scribblesc.com. I was taught really early in my career was to start engagements with VCs far before you ask for money. And so for years, I've been building the foundation for that $3.4 million raise. I would introduce myself to people at conferences. Um, I would take meetings that didn't feel like they had a purpose at the time, but were really just for relationship building. And I'm just a researcher to my core. I spend a lot of hours on VC Twitter. I'm watching every YouTube video. I'm taking extensive notes. And through this process and these conversations, I learned what sort of thresholds and goals my company needed to um, achieve in order to be venture ready. And so once I had those established from enough people that I really trusted and people who are actually writing checks, I started to chase those metrics so that when the time came, it wasn't a, hey, I'm not sure if this MRR growth is enough, or I'm not sure if this month over month um, demand generation acceleration is enough. I knew exactly what I needed and I could build the business around what those KPIs were to raise efficiently. And especially during COVID, it paid off just because I already knew a few people and had relationships going. And the first time they heard from me wasn't me asking for a check. I had known them for years past, but I had not asked for them for money yet. Venture Ready is different for every single company. And I think that in order to really understand what that means for your business, so you need to go out and you need to contact 100 VCs who are currently writing checks in your industry, ask them specifically what the last five companies they invested in and ask them for those particular metrics so that you know as an entrepreneur what sort of things you should be chasing, what sort of things venture capitalists are looking for so that when the time does come, you're able to be ready and uh, ask for the check. 
When you say the time comes, so I, I kind of wanted to ask that. How did you know the time was 2020 for you? You mentioned KPIs being hit, but. What I learned through all of this research is that VC metrics are very deliberate and intentional. And when you hit those metrics, particularly around growth month over month, that's when you know you're ready for venture capital. Because if you aren't hitting those numbers, it means you're not growing fast enough. And if you've surpassed those numbers, probably an indication that you don't need venture capital in order to continue scaling your business. So for me, it's always about understanding what those thresholds are, doing the research to really know in your industry, in your space, what targets you should be going after, and closely monitoring your business's metrics to that, and understanding where there's variables to tell the best story possible to investors. People oftentimes ask me, okay, I have a business and I wanna raise money. What should I do next? And what I always tell people is, you're already six months too late because you should already be asking venture capitalists those questions if you're starting to think about it. So my first suggestion, of course, is start right now. Make a list of 300 investors that you can reach out to within the next month and then call every single one of them. Again, the best time to reach out to a VC is when you're not asking for money. Start building the relationships, start to determine what, tar what funds are looking at your type of deals and then build your business around the metrics that they're looking for so that you can achieve their investment thesis, get into their portfolio and scale the way that they envision every company that they invest in scaling. I think that one of the greatest misconceptions in entrepreneurship, especially tech startups, is that reaching VCs is difficult. Um, I think that some people start off with a larger network than others, but venture capitalists are in a competitive landscape where they are tasked with writing as many checks to really qualified founders as they can. Otherwise, their economics don't work and they can't respond to their investors. So my recommendation, first and foremost, is build an outstanding business that can attract venture talent um, and, and, and venture capital. Great VCs will find you if you're building a great business. But if you're not, the internet is a wonderful place and you can look up top 25 venture funds for healthcare companies. And there'll be a fully curated list with everybody's contact information for you to simply reach out to, ask for help, and start those conversations. So maybe as an introvert, that might be a little bit more challenging, but these people's jobs are literally to sit at their computer, learn about your ideas, and determine if they wanna invest. So it's not gonna come to a surprise to them when they get a cold email, because they're getting them every single day. So my recommendation is always take that first step, send that first email, and take the opportunity to learn about their fund and if your business fits within their thesis. Okay, so I think you know, you're listening to AJ, probably one of the more impressive things that he's achieved is actually he's raised you know, two million during COVID, not just two million, but he did it all virtually. Now, I think that's a testament, not only to just AJ as an individual, but all the back work he did for years and building those relationships and things like that. Mm -hmm. But still, I would think that's an added hurdle to think about having to make that deal completely from behind a screen. So that just sort of, I was wondering, I started, um, I picked up the phone and had some, a few conversations with both angels and some VCs locally in the state and just sort of asked them like, 
what was your investment activity like? What do you think is going to happen? And of course, none of them are really 100% sure what's going to happen. Like, I think we're all kind of like in this weird gray zone of, you know, what does the new normal start to look like? But I think what seemed to be a common theme with our South Carolina-based investors was, one, they definitely sort of triaged their existing portfolio. When COVID hit, they wanted to make sure that investments that they had done in the past were going to survive through through COVID. Through COVID. Through, through the pandemic, yeah. And, and so some, they, they doubled down on some of those investments and things like that because they couldn't go on and raise more money like they maybe typically right. would have done. When you said when you said that, just out of curiosity, does that mean, you know, they were, they were as opposed to looking at trying to make other investments, broaden their portfolio, whatever, they were really not looking at investment. They were looking at what they did, but they were like giving, they were getting more hands-on, more guidance. Uh, what were they doing? I would say instead of maybe, you know, like you just said, going out and looking for new deals, they were instead hyper-focused on their existing companies to make sure they had what they needed. So so some of them did get maybe another round of funding from the same fund that they might not have gotten. Gotcha. They might have needed it, right? Gotcha. So, so that's one. That seemed to be a really common thread through all of them. You're doing that initial triage and review of their existing portfolio and made investments where necessary. Um, I think another one that sort of definitely, and I think this really speaks to the AJ situation, which is all of them felt like COVID shined a light on the best founders and those that can raise money will do it regardless of the economics involved. Or the or the telecommunications channel. Right, right. Like no matter what, you know, and in fact, that's even, uh, I've got a group based out of Charleston that, you know, because of what COVID has done, that they might even be changing their what they would call their investment thesis. So basically, what do they prioritize as important when looking at deals? And and so they might change their investment thesis to be more around products that are relevant, regardless of what is happening in the market. Um, and I think AJ would actually be a good example of that HR is an ongoing, never going away. Sure. We're always going to have a workforce. And so I think that's sort of maybe an important note if you're a founder and looking at or looking for what is that next big aha right. idea that you're going to do. You know, investors might be starting to think in this mindset of, okay, we've had this first big global pandemic disruption. Can I build, is my product going to be something that is relevant regardless of a COVID, basically? Um, Now, what I didn't necessarily expect, kind of on the flip side. So, you know, we've been talking about more sort of investor uh, behavior during COVID. Uh, What I maybe didn't anticipate, you know, some brought up, their relationship with their founders changed during COVID. So for those of you not may might not be as familiar, you know, the you know, once a deal's been done, you know, an investor usually takes a spot on that business's board. And typically a board meets about once a quarter. And it's during these very formal kind of agenda meetings where you're going to talk about growth projections, the overall business activity, and maybe some problems that you're experiencing, but it's more about creating sort of or instilling your investors and your board that confidence Mm -hmm. that everything's good to go Mm -hmm. regardless if it is or isn't Mm -hmm. Uh, now of course i think most investors would say i want to know if there's a problem because i have i have literally an invested interest in you succeeding Mm -hmm. um so so anyways you know i had several sort of speak to what they didn't necessarily expect was obviously no in-person meetings were Mm -hmm. happening and so founders seem to feel more comfortable um, arranging, you know, sort of deep dive conversations or very specific conversations with things that they were experiencing to problem solve with them more on demand than instead waiting for that board meeting 
you know, that might might have typically been months like, away. More communication. Yeah, more communication. But I think again, I think it's interesting just the 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 motivation of the the founder being more okay with doing that with their investor instead of th- that that existed before covid you know, right. you know zoom is not new right. our usage of it obviously exploded sure. but the fact that they feel comfortable now calling on their investor to have a short meeting around a specific problem and how they can help that's an interesting change i don't think anyone would have maybe anticipated um i think most if anything felt like they were going to run to their corners and just you know try and make things work on their own but instead they have a different rapport with their investors than what they did before, in spite of it not being in person. Um, so I, I think that's something I wasn't um, necessarily even even the, fa- the the investors weren't necessarily expecting and have really actually enjoyed being able to be more hands on, the opportunity to be more hands on, and having more everyday knowledge of what's going on with with the business. Um, so I think you know after COVID, some of them from like a meeting standpoint believe there's going to be a new hybrid with them even. Yeah. So yes, I do want to see a, a in-person board meeting come back. But again, you know, the, the, the economy, the investment world is no longer hyper centralized to a, a, a regional area. Now investments are happening all over the world. So, you know, they feel like the threshold for the in-person meeting has been raised. If you're going to have it, it can't just be because for a formal meeting and then get back on the plane and be gone. It's got to be more meat. Right. to it and almost more of a, a, a sense of a gathering sure. than an actual business meeting, more social aspect to it or something. And or otherwise, if it can if it could have been achieved on Zoom, you're just going to uh, annoy the, did, the people that are coming. Did they indicate that these behaviors or these changes would be uh, lasting or do they feel like it, it's going to, um, you know, they're going to take this with them and continue to operate like that or, or you know, with the reopening, are they going to return to some sense of normality in 22 or tw- tw- I guess they can't really. Say. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. And most of them were like, we don't know, okay. but they do. They did feel confident that some kind of new hybrid was going to stay for sure, that they wow. were never going back to the way it was, it before. was before. Yeah. Taking a moment to step back from Sprockets and AJ's experience with venture capitalists and fundraising, we wanted to dive into his personal business philosophy. Innovation is looking at a problem different. I think it's rare that innovation comes from within a particular discipline. And for us, as an example, we brought our technology in from sports. So there's been this same hiring process for the last 200 years, right? I like to joke and say Aristotle hired a scribe in the same way that a McDonald's cashier is being hired today. You exchange a little bit of information and you make a gut decision if you think that person's a good intellectual and cultural fit. But at Sprockets, we look at the problem differently. We apply sophisticated mathematics and psychology to help you make that really difficult hiring decision. And I don't come from human resources. I don't have a SHRM certificate. I haven't been in the industry for 25 years. But I think where I was really successful in innovating in my particular space was I looked at the problem differently. I didn't have any predisposed um, thoughts of how things should be done. I looked at it as a problem. There's a ton of turnover. There's a ton of discrimination. There's a ton of inefficiencies. How, if there wasn't any limit to tech, to, re- to, to money, to process, how would we fix it? And that's how Sprockets was born. So as a market leader in the HR tech space, particularly around innovation, we've built a culture internally around 
making mistakes <laughs> and constantly pushing the envelope of what can be done um, and what should be done for our customers. We've got business growth covered, but how about personal growth? Um, Jim Rohn um, has this phrase that I say often. It's, you are the five people you spend the most time with. And so from my personal friend network, and I talk a lot about this at the College of Charleston, is if you have friends that all they do is you know, rip G's, um, drink beer, and play Xbox, you're gonna morph into a version of that yourself. But if you have friends and people around you that push you to be better, that constantly nag at you to innovate and to improve yourself, not only in business, but in your personal and spiritual and emotional goals, you know, that's when you start to really see this profound change within yourself as a human being. And so with me, I'm very deliberate of who I spend time with. And I always stretch to see who's willing to join my circle, if you will. And so I've been really fortunate in my life to build a network of mentors in South Carolina and beyond, people that I really aspire to be like, people who inspire me based on the work that they've done, and people who really are willing to invest their time in pushing me to be my very best. Because although I've been able to do some really cool things in my career so far, I have much higher expectations for myself and my family and never want to plateau. So surrounding yourself with mentors is a great way to do that. And how does AJ recommend finding the right mentor? Yeah, I think the best way to get somebody to mentor you is to write a cold email, um, make it complimentary, tell them that they've built this amazing business, you aspire to be like them, and you'd like to take them out for coffee, or you'd like to bring them out for dinner. What I've learned is that really successful people had mentors themselves. So they're natural mentees, and they actually go out and try to find people that they can help in their personal journey. So I think you as an entrepreneur will find much more success than you might think and just cold emailing, cold calling, and doing your best to find people to help you in your journey. After a stint in Washington, D.C., my wife and I had an opportunity to really go anywhere in the country. We knew we wanted to leave the city and we wanted to go somewhere where tech was thriving, it was a beautiful community, and we're huge food lovers, so we wanted to go somewhere with world-class cuisine. So we started to look at different cities and started to fly around, going to places like Austin, Denver, Chattanooga, Nashville, Tampa Bay, and about everywhere in between. And when we came to Charleston, I knew it was a special place because in every single one of those cities, I reached out to five local founders. I said, hey, my name's AJ Rikiki. I'm thinking about moving here. What are your thoughts about the community? Or would you be willing to meet for coffee? Or hey, I'd love to learn from you to, as a mentor. And in Charleston, four out of the five founders reached back out to me on that cold email. And in other cities, it was significantly less. So for us, it was a few things, but being around a community that would support me as an entrepreneur, support Sprockets as a business, um, as well as have the beautiful beaches in downtown, downtown area, um, it was a no-brainer for us to come here. AJ didn't mention this, but one of his, his close mentors is John Michael Carter from season one of Scribble. Uh, we interviewed John Michael and his company, Chartspan, uh, a couple years ago. And he, he was one of the, I think, one of our favorite episodes mm -hmm. from, uh, from, from the first season. Um, had a lot to say about innovation and really at that point started to speak about uh, failure and, and really creating a culture that wasn't afraid of failure. 
Um, but we reached out to John Michael about AJ. Um, they have a very close relationship. You know, John Michael's in in Greenville, AJ in um, Charleston. But that doesn't mean that they don't share this mentor relationship. And John Michael had some wonderful words. He 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 said AJ was a brilliant thinker, wise beyond his years. He said young entrepreneurs would do well to listen to his counsel and learnings. From his understanding of venture capital investment constructs to what drives innovation, he found the interview to be fascinating. And we hope you did too. Yeah, so we scaled from um, about 10 people to 55 people, raised several million dollars, several thousand customers. Um, and for us, we just want to continue that acceleration. You know, we want to be 150, 250 people. We want to be the name to work with in the hourly workforce. We want to impact a million people help them find jobs and you know in positions they wouldn't otherwise have opportunities to without sprockets and we want to make a profound impact in the world and i know that sounds like super cheesy and corny but you know fortunately we've built a foundation where i really think that in the next two to three years we can make a positive difference in the hiring space and in society in general i'm aj rikiki and those were my notes on innovation Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review. Join us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Scribble Innovation. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletters. Special thanks to my co-host, Laura McIntosh, the Managing Director of the South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. I'm Joseph Nuther, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopFizz. Additional thanks to our team, producer and editor, Hunter Foster, sound engineers, Mike Deering and Samuel Thomas, Original music by Matt Honkinen, with additional support from Tia Nelson, Sarah Plemons, Ronnie Wilson, Robin Hendricks, and Lexi Williams. Next time on Of Note. So what we needed to find was which vertical, which customer placed the most value on the data that they collect, which one invested the most in the data they're collecting, and which one can have the highest and most quantifiable outcome. We found manufacturing to be the industry that had the highest quantifiable upside to the value of their data. So they're investing in collecting the information, um, they're investing in taking the information and, and, and turning it into something of, of higher value, and that value is gonna be exponential once it's implemented.